0: Today on From A to Ziggy, bring me the Disco King. Welcome to From A to Ziggy. This is the podcast where we listen to every single David Bowie song in alphabetical order. My name is Thomas. And my name is Travis. And, uh, you know, Travis, this is our 53rd episode. We've done 52 episodes up to this point. That's that, a lot of
1: episodes. Yeah, it's,
0: and it's, so this is our first year of episodes, because we've been releasing them uh, on a weekly basis, one episode per week for the past year, ah. this being uh, February 2017. And you know, I've looked back um, through the kind of the, the weird stuff that we learned through listening to Black Star, and you know how uh, we've established that David Bowie is a time traveler. Yes. Yes. We, this is known. This is a fact. Um, I think I've discovered the secrets of time travel, and what I'm going to do is I'm gonna take these fifty two episodes and I'm just gonna take them back in time. Okay. Take the files back in time and release them in a more regular pattern. Like I don't know, three three times a week or two times a week, something like that. Okay. Um just to That's, kind of speed things yeah, up. Yeah, that seems
1: like a, it would be a thing that would yeah accelerate the process. Yeah. <laughs>
0: we've got a lot of songs to cover. There's a lot of songs And to one per week was was not the right was not the right thing to do when we started this. So I'm gonna, we're going to diverge into an alternate timeline here and just, and just become a, like a thrice-weekly, twice-weekly, probably thrice-weekly kind of thing. I think that's a good idea. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll resume all of this stuff in uh, July of uh, 2016. Now, that's if my calculations are correct. Uh, time travel, of course, is not really a, an exact science. If I make any mistakes in the math then we might have, say, like a two-week gap in episodes. But I don't think that will happen. I, I'm pretty confident in my number crunching there. So, you know, our, our current selves, this timeline, will cease to exist. Yes, it and, will. And uh, we'll be just some other pair of podcasters. Two very productive podcasters. Yeah, doing way more work. Yeah. And getting way more done. Mm-hmm. But we only have to start at uh, Bring Me the Disco King. Bring
1: Me the Disco King.
0: And this is from the album Reality. Mm. 2003.
1: 2003. 20-odd-three. So this is an album I wasn't super familiar with. And now it is an album that I really, really like. Oh, yeah. I got really into this album. Yeah? Yeah. It is. It's like a... It's kind of like Hail to the Thief a little bit. It's it's a rock album. It's a rock with album with a weird lot of alternative elements, sort and, of sounds coming out of it. Yeah, it was kind of coming off like he, he had kind of done his other forays into different sounds, and this was him making something that had a little more straightforward rock to it.
0: Yeah, but I it's guess also, pretending
1: Heathen didn't, didn't happen because Heathen was also pretty straightforward rock yeah, but still. Yeah.
0: But it's also really textured and yeah. really polished, in a way that Heathen also is, but in a different way. I don't know, I think something about the, art, the album artwork makes them really different from each other, in yeah. my mind. Like, one is really dark, he's got that stark, like, photograph with the crisp lines, he's in kind of a shaded lighting, and, and you know, his eyes are... It's a very ominous-looking yeah. album cover. Yeah. And whereas reality, he's like, he's, a, he's an anime character, stepping out of the page at you. He looks a little bit distressed. I don't know. Well, a little bit ambiguous, um, but he's got these gigantic eyes. Um, if the eyes are the window to the soul, then this is...
1: It's, it's like my parents' old house where you could drive by and see through the entire front of the house. But he's got
0: tiny little hands. Itty bitty little hands. Oh
1: my god, if you look at, it's and... like if you look at the hair and the tiny hands, it's like he's prophesizing Trump. Oh no! <laughs> oh, oh my no. God, David Bowie—he was trying to warn us. <laughs> He's got this. Cr- could be your
0: reality. Change. Oh, David, we should have listened. Time travel. He knew what was going to happen. He jumped forward to 2017 yeah. and saw what would happen, and tried to leave us this message behind in 2003. And it's, I think that's when it didn't work. We've only in
1: 2016. He was like, "Nope, I tried to warn you guys. I'm out of here before this all gets ugly." Yeah. Called The Mothership. Back to the Stars. Yeah. But yeah, this is a more its a more engaging album than Heathen. It's a, just a very good alternative album. Is this the first song we're doing
0: from reality? This is the first song we're doing from reality, which is funny because this is the
1: least like any other song on reality.
0: Yeah. It, it's the last song on the album. And I think it had to be the last song on the album. Like, yeah. So I, I was really listening sick. to
1: the deluxe version on, on Spotify and there's a couple of bonus tracks tacked on. Yeah. And it does feel odd for that not to be just it. Yeah. Like, there's really only a couple songs on there that aren't really super, super peppy. Mm -hmm. This is a fun album. Yeah, it really is. And also, I I would be remiss to point out, there was a a reviewer who... This was the second Bowie album in a row that he had reviewed and called the best
0: since Scary Monsters. Wait a minute. So, Heathen was the best since Scary Monsters. Yeah. And then a couple years later... (laughs) Reality, Reality comes out, and like, nope, we were wrong. This, this <laughs> one is now the best since Scary Monsters. <laughs> yeah. Not the best since Heathen, the previous best since Scary Monsters. How does that even work out yeah. mathematically? Doesn't the first law of calculus... Oh, wait,
1: wait, wait. So, I, I actually, I had this wrong. I had this wrong, but it's still less... It's not really much less ridiculous. The BBC actually said it was the best since Monsters, but the same reviewer called this and Earthling the best albums since Scary Monsters.
0: Well, I can see that. I can see Earthling-
1: it's still throwing it
0: out a little bit too willy-nilly. Well, I can see how Earthling would change. Because Heathen and Reality have a lot more in common with each other yeah. than Earthling and Reality have in common yeah. with each er- other. Yeah,
1: Earthling and Scary Monsters I do feel like kindred spirits to me.
0: But Earthling is a very timely album, and I can see that its prestige would lessen as time progresses. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it feels very much like
0: 1997. It could become less of the best album, you know, less qualified as the best album as time goes on. Yeah.
1: It really is just way too easy to say, this is the best album since that album I really loved by them every time an album comes out. When you, it's just, you might as well just say, oh, I just, I dig this album. This is a good album that this band made. And just leave it at that.
0: It's just an addiction to hype. Might as well face it. Um, Speaking of mannequin clad, Models dancing. Uh, this is a song about dancing. It is, it's about disco. Something it has something to do with disco and the 70s. It's uh, if you look at the lyrics, that becomes abundantly clear. And I'm being, I say that in this in the uh spirit of irony. (laughs) I do not mean what I say. Uh, yeah, this is a very low key, kind of slow, cool, jazzy song.
1: Yeah, it feels like it, it. it would squeeze in nicely on
0: Star. Yeah. Just has that like dark jazz. Yeah. And like ba- Star, like that album, it's, there's a lot of death. A lot of the end. Yeah. So it's, it's, very, it's a very sparse arrangement. It's just drums, piano, and Bowie's voice. It started as a completely different song. Well, it's got a history. This song's got a history. It does have a bit so of history. So apparently it, it was recorded a couple of times already. There was one recording during, the, during Black Tie White Noise, and then another one during Earthling. The 93 version, the Black Tie White Noise version, was apparently more disco-y.
1: Yeah, and then you decided
0: to just give up on it because it sounded too cheesy. Yeah. Which, which is interesting.
1: Did you have the same
0: thought that I did? Considering
1: that Black Tie White Noise exists, the yeah. song, yeah. Yeah, Right. It's like well, that was your
0: edict for this song and not that song. Oh, this this parody sounds too cheesy. <laughs> yeah, it does exactly what Black Tie White Noise does. Maybe it was a crowding of uh, cheesy parody songs that become what they parody. Yeah, um, there were just too many to fit on an album. And also, he you know what I find hilarious too, is that he's doing this
1: disco parody, calling for the head of the disco king, but he's do it. He recorded it literally with the disco king. With Nile Rodgers, that's right. And it wasn't even his first meeting with the Disco King. Like he had, he had the Disco King in his contacts, not his Rolodex but his cell phone contacts, because he's a freaky time traveling spider from Mars. So if he wanted the Disco King, he could basically just be like, "Hey Nile, want to come over and jam again?" Right. He'd already, yeah, he already done two amazing <laughs> albums for him, or one really amazing album and <laughs> one kind of good album with him. <laughs> um, uh yeah so i thought that was kind of strange yeah yeah what was
0: what was bowie's angle there
1: yeah who like hey man you know what i think sucks disco yeah oh you mean that genre i did all of
0: (laughs) that's interesting i didn't think about that he's where did this song really originate
1: i mean you gotta i mean i assume that it kind of had some roots in the 70s because most people who played rock and roll music in the 70s just hated disco and reacting to disco all the
0: time. And Bowie was there. Bowie was, was there in the 70s. And he was going to clubs, hanging out on the scene, probably dancing to things that resembled disco. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think this is an anti-disco song? Do you think Bowie's professed this, uh, attitude towards disco is it strictly feels kind of anti-disco.
1: I mean, knowing that, you know, who he collaborates with and stuff, like you can't think he's completely anti-disco, but it feels very anti-disco. I mean, yeah, the, the, is, way he's, the way he's saying, bring me the Disco King, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like he's saying, bring me the Disco King, we're going to have cake and soda. Like, it's not a...
0: Or, or is the Disco King... It's, it's, it's ominous. It's he's, very got ominous an, he's got an ominous tone to the way yeah. he says it. It sounds like he wants his
1: head on a platter. He does. And I th- it almost sounds like he's blaming the Disco King for his 70s debauchery.
0: Yeah. But is the disco king... Is it disco music itself or is it like the spirit of the age of the 70s? I think it's the spirit of the age like
1: of the 70s. I think when people rail against disco, they're kind of... It's it's like an effigy for the 70s. Yeah, that right. we like to burn. Yeah. Just like how we kind of now point and laugh at the terrible like electronica music because it represents that like vapid just the party, man. It's just only about the party. Right. For tonight. Right. Attitude that people who... Have lived lives just fine. (laughs) Oh, so abhorrent. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So the Disco King is kind of representative of something, uh, you know, a a past age or a past persona, past self. I almost picture like, uh, did you ever see
1: 54? No, that's the one about Studio 54. Yeah. Like I kind of picture like Mike Myers in that movie. who who does he play he plays like the guy that owned studio 54 (laughs) just like this this coked out scene boy who you know is dictating who can get into his club and who's not attractive enough to get into his club just really just picture every terrible stereotype about 70s disco people and that's this guy right um i I picture him and i also kind of because i am who i am picture disco stew yeah (laughs) Disco stew, destroy David
0: Bowie. When I look at it, I think of the Disco King as being death. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the Disco King is supposed to represent, but it might be death, because it's uh, this sounds to me like a song that's sung by someone who's anticipating death, who's ready for death to come. He's not frightened about the prospect. He's kind of impatient. He wants it to happen, just go ahead and happen, and doesn't want it to be ambiguous when it happens. He wants... Death to be as ready for him as he is for death. He wants that boundary to be clear. He wants the ending to be clear. Um, Don't sneak up on me. Just like, just do it, right? Yeah. But that opening up the door, opening the door, he says that twice in the song, once at the beginning and once at the end. It's kind of like a callback to uh, the Jacques Brel song, My Death, where death is the opening of a door. The line is in that song, but whatever lies behind the door, there is nothing much to do. That's the end, right? And then at the end of the song, he's, he says also, uh, soon there'll be nothing left of me, nothing left to release. That's the last line of the song, after the door is open, It's sort of a callback to that, to that song. Of course, Bowie sang that song in the 70s at the, during the Ziggy shows. So, yeah, I think, of this, I think of this as a song about death or an effigy for something, something that you were involved in, something about your past. But it's open to interpretation. It is. It's a very, it's, it's a pretty abstract song, as David Bowie songs have a tendency to be. Yeah. And it talks about memories fluttering like bats out of hell. Reference to Meatloaf, perhaps? I was actually just listening to that album last night. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, a few
1: weeks ago, I went to a birthday party back in my hometown and I had a gift certificate for this record store. So we went in there and we were poking around. We happened to find it on vinyl. Um, it is a grandiose album. I have never listened. To the album before last night, the extent of my meatloaf knowledge was "Paradise by the Dashboard Light," and I would do anything for love.
0: That's the Beauty and the Beast song. That's the one. Uh, not to be confused with the David Bowie Beauty and the Beast song.
1: Well, this is the one where well, it's not from Beauty, but like the video is very Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, um, so it's not terrible actually. I thought I was gonna hate it. I was like, ah, oh, because I'm so sick of that one song. So, but it was actually like a pretty enjoyable album. There's a couple songs I really liked on it, but it's like, yeah, it's. It sounds like Bruce Springsteen, but with less thought. It's not thinking Man's Bruce Springsteen. Like, really big songs, but kind of mindless.
0: It's interesting you say Bruce Springsteen, because I was just about to say I need to listen to more Meatloaf, clearly. I have a huge gap in my, a (laughs) meatloaf-shaped gap in my listening repertoire, which I need to follow up. I need to add that to my cue of Bruce Springsteen and Brian Eno still got to listen to a lot of that by the way did you know there's a bruce springsteen alphabetical podcast of course bruce, there is bruce springsteen sings the alphabet <laughs> which is good and so i'm I'm sort of trying to go through his uh his his discography too yeah uh, i tell myself more springsteen um where were we meatloaf the disco that's out of hell memories yeah. and then so there's that line memories flutter and uh and then the rest of the song up until the re- reference to death again at the end is is all sort of memories of you know the a 70s kind of or a life uh, misspent youth all this stuff that seems not so important anymore stuff that sounded fun but reflecting on it just feels yeah. just dirty life wasn't worth the balance or the crumpled paper it was written on so yeah there's it's a very dark song. It is a very dark song. There's another version of it. There is. There's the remix.
1: Yes. Ah oh, man, my remix horn. Oh, you suck, phone.
0: I had my I had a remix horn. It's okay. Uh, okay. We can edit it so that it can totally it, totally like it worked it. flawlessly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, put that on silent. Yes. Here we go. All right. Okay. There's the
1: there's the what now? There's there's the remix. That the was totally remix. worth all the effort. <laughs> shots, was... shots. <laughs> um, so the remix, for a second there, I liked it more, but then I, in the last 24 hours, my opinion has gone back. It's good, but it's very of the time, yeah. the remix. So here's a, a time capsule of a sentence. So it was remixed by uh, Danny Lohner from The Nine Inch Nails, featuring Maynard, Maynard James Keenan from Tool, and John Frusciante from The Red Hot Chili Peppers. So yeah, it's a super
0: 2003 remix. Maynard James Keenan changes one of the lines from Bring Me the Disco King to Bring Me the Head of the Disco King, which kind of goes against the whole thing of it being dead or alive. Yeah. That's that's pretty clearly dead. That's pretty dead. Unless he's talking about the head and the body. (laughs) (laughs) You can bring me the head. And he's dead, or you can bring me the head and the, uh, still attached to the body. <laughs> <if> he's alive, <laughs> or dead. I guess it. I guess it's not as contradictory as I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> You're going
1: out of your way to make Peter James Keenan look like he's not contradicting himself. <laughs> Don't
0: give him the benefit of the
1: doubt. <laughs> but it was okay. It's not essential.
0: It's it's pretty generic. Yeah, uh, I really enjoy the the album version. This is a showcase for Mike garson this is his best piano performance on a david bowie record since aladdin sane absolutely yeah this it's but it's it's subtler it it doesn't go to all the places that the aladdin sane solo goes but it's 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 still got those those small ventures out it serves the melody that uh that bowie's singing and it serves the beat it goes along with the beat we didn't mention the the drums the drums were um, not recorded for this song they were left over from the heathen sessions yeah uh, tony visconti just sort of looped them and put them under bowie's vocals and had and then mike garson comes in and does lays the piano over the whole thing does it perfectly uh and the plan was for them to strip down the song because He recorded it those two times and wasn't happy with it to strip down the arrangement build it up again just from the the basic elements with kind of a a beat going on and then bowie's vocals add some piano add some bass some guitar some strings whatever but it turned out to be so perfect the way it was they just left it as it was mike garson was gonna he took the midi file that they recorded at looking glass studios and he took it home to his um Apparently he has a piano at home that's kind of like a player piano, called a Yamaha clavier. You can put a disc in with a MIDI file, and it's, it'll play that MIDI file just as if there were a piano player there. That's pretty cool. With all the, uh, the velocity information, so it's loud and soft, it's got all the uh, pedal information and all that stuff. So it just plays the performance, just like if he was there. So they they did that on another song on this album, The Loneliest guy. He was going to do it with Bring Me the Disco King. He took it home and re-recorded it on the piano. Uh, But they went with the synthesized. Bowie heard him, and he went with the um, Yamaha keyboard. Which is a a story. Which is a story that happened. Uh, It'll come back around when we get to The Loneliest guy. You'll remember that we we mentioned the Yamaha disco gear (laughs) when we get to the L's. That way I won't have to go into that whole thing. Saving time. Saving time. Saving time. Just like I did when I went back in time and brought this mm-hmm. to, uh, to 2016. There's a video for this on the reality DVD. So you were you were mentioning you, you tried to watch it on YouTube and weren't able to... I was having issues getting it to work in. on YouTube. It told you, you needed to log in because of adult content? Yeah. Which is weird because I don't think there's any adult there's no nudity in this yeah. video, not that I can remember. I didn't think it was
1: going to be it. It, was, it seemed very bizarre, because I
0: watch things with a lot of cursing on YouTube a lot of times, and it's fine. It's not. Yeah, it's not the swearing that's yeah. doing it, It's maybe it's the threatening atmosphere of the whole thing. Maybe it's the surrealism of the whole thing. You can watch it on Vimeo, I'll put a link on the Facebook page. I did find a thing you could watch. The video comes from this promotional DVD that also came with one of the versions of reality. And it's kind of like the, uh, there was another one done like this for Black Tie White Noise that intersperses David Bowie in an interview setting and then does sort of studio performances miming to the album version of the song. It's really interesting, like, the interview segments don't really focus on David Bowie's responses to the questions. In fact, they kind of treat them electronically so that they're kind of hard to listen to, and he, they'll like overlay his voice with his voice from a different question and, and something else and some other stuff, some, a totally different person speaking. It's very surreal. If you, like, yeah. if you like films from David Lynch or Bunuel or Guy Madden, this is, this is a must-see. It's, it's about 30 minutes. It's got four performances built into it. There's the interview segments interspersed. So the video for Bring Me the Disco King segues straight from The Loneliest Guy. It has Bowie sort of wandering through a forest, like a set of a forest. And you see him sort of like trying to grope his way through, and and you hear a dance beat echoing in the distance. Cut to a shot of a real forest. There's a searchlight moving through the limbs then you close up on a tree there's points of light zooming around on the branches you see and then you see bowie he's wearing a suit he's wearing that suit that he's wearing on the album he's digging with his hands and he digs and digs until he strikes water then some water pools up from underground and the points you see the points of light sort of spinning on the ground around him he looks down into the pool and you see in the pool reflected from above there's a disco ball and you so that's that's where the lights are coming from during the line where he says soon there'll be nothing of me, nothing to release at the end, uh, you see a cleaned-up Bowie. He doesn't have the dirt on his hands, or he doesn't have the disheveled hair. He's standing under the disco ball. He's looking down at his other self. This The one that was digging has collapsed dead on the ground in the middle of the woods, with the disco ball spinning and all the lights going around. And he just sort of looks at his body lying there. Then there's this surreal series of cuts. He doesn't move through the woods to get back to the studio. He just sort of... It's its filmic. It's like a series of cuts. He's hes in the woods again, and then he's in the studio from the previous video, and then he's sort of in a weird transitional place, and then he's back in the interview. It's, it's Sounds great. Sounds strange, yeah. It is great. It is last episode of Twin Peaks great. And then... He he does this eerie thing at the end. He's responding to one of the questions. The last thing he says is, can you hear all these sounds that emerged when we started talking about the supernatural? That's the sound of death. That's what it sounds like when you're dead. Door is opening. Call back to Shock Brawl there. Really good video. I have to watch that. There's a couple of live performances that are on DVD that you can find online as well. There's yeah, one. I watched the one that I think it was... I think it was one from September 2003. One is from a performance of the entire album in sequence in front of a smaller audience.
1: Yeah, I think it's that one.
0: Then there was another one one from the Dublin show on the reality tour. I actually saw this, the sequential version, the, the performance of the album, I saw this on... PBS one year yeah. during one of their telethons, you know they, they just they just play shows yeah. that they happen to have. I guess they, they had the reality DVD. <laughs> Did you know it was, was going to be on? Or was just
1: like a really happy accident. No, about. I
0: just saw it. I happened to see it. I, I thought it was like a PBS thing, but um, it's from the Japanese yeah. DVD. And I think you can find you can find all these things on YouTube. He leads off that performance when he does um, "Bring Me the Disco King." He leads it off by saying, "This is uh, the last album on the record." And we'll have we'll have the next album ready in about five weeks, which of course by five weeks <laughs> you meant in like ten years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was two thousand three, and
1: yeah, <laughs> but that, that actually that performance really adds a lot of menace to the song too. Because there's yeah. some parts where he's saying "Bring me the Disco King," he just like has this like angered look on his
0: face. Like yes. he's like, he's acting. There's a lot. There's more emotion. Yeah. there. Yeah, those are definitely good. Good videos. Both of those live versions are worth checking out. Anything else about Bring Me the Disco King? Not that I can think of. I, I did find a cover, a live performance. Mike Garson did it at a tribute to uh, Bowie at the Roxy in February of 2016. First he did Aladdin Sane with the band that was doing the tribute. Then he did a solo tribute to, uh, to Bowie. He said he was composing it on the spot. So it's an improv performance, and then he starts playing "Bring Me the Disco King," and then the band comes out, and then the uh, special guest performer comes out, and everybody cheers when they see him. It's Seal, and Seal sings <laughs> oh, man. "Bring Me the Disco King" with Mike Garson. That's incredible. It's yeah, it's a great version. I'll link to that in the yeah in the notes too. Yeah, those are all my. Those are the things I know about "Bring Me the Disco King." Any other yeah. things? Nah, no, I think we hit a lot of things. In that case, how about, uh, what ratings? How oh, about ratings? All how right. Um. Nail this thing down and figure out numbers to describe it. Oh, man. Because words are all fine and dandy, but, you know. But. It's not official until there's a number.
1: What's the point of liking things if you can't quantify how much you like them? I, uh, I give this song. Oh, man. I'm really hovering between a three and a half and a four. Ah, man. So I'm gonna go 3.8 heads of the
0: Disco King. 3.8 heads. 3.8 <laughs> heads. Disco King heads. Is one of them scalped? One of them is scalped. Alright. Not 3.75. Not right in the middle. I like it a little more than halfway between a 3 and a 4. Alright. That's, that's fine, because I, I really like to stop at one decimal point. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like to go too far. Yeah. I like to be pre- too precise. Get around. I'll, uh, I'll round it. I'll round it even further. I, I like, I like this song. I'll give it a four. Four heads. I'll give it four heads. Um, speaking of giving head... <laughs> uh... Is that appropriate? I don't think it's... <laughs> I mean, more than anything, I want to see where you're going with this. Well, the next song is, uh, The Buddha of Suburbia, which, from the title, doesn't really have that much to do with with that, but I mean, you'll you'll get it when you'll get, if because I know that you haven't heard the song yet. We're gonna listen to it and then talk about it mm-hmm. in a few days. But yeah, when you hear it, you'll you'll see how it relates. Um, yeah, that's what I'm gonna go with for my segue. Join us then next yes. time. Um, until then, I am. Oh wait, oh, until yeah, we, can, until then they can find us places. It's been a week. It's been a week from full uh, rusty. Yeah, until then, check us out on Facebook, on Twitter, from A to Z, from A to Ziggycom Leave a comment on the page for this uh, episode. What else? Leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. Subscribe. Uh, let let a friend know if you like this show. Let a friend know. Tell somebody. Retweet. Tweet the uh, thing. Facebook the thing. And review. Click likes. Yeah. Things like that. I I don't really know how social media works. <laughs> there are widgets you can click and doodads. You yeah. Can... Press to uh to uh to help support your favorite show that discusses David Bowie's work in alphabetical order. Uh yeah, do until then, um, my name is Thomas. And my name is Travis. And we will bring us the disco keg. Do you remember
1: Ricardo speed? It's such an song. I heard a nice song. I've got a room of ground control. Oh no, don't say it's true. They